thick, rubbery biceps. Attached to thick, rubbery triceps. Attached to thick, rubbery forearms. To go with a thick, rubbery, chiseled chest and abs. He stood there permanently positioned in swole patrol flexation. He was half naked, but thank God that he was wearing pants. Peacock blue rubbery pants. His thick rubbery quads and hammies and gluteus maximus were bulging out of these peacock blue rubbery pants. And to top it all off, he had a chrome dome, the baldest rubbery head there could be. Now, I called him Uncle John. And Uncle John, he stood about uh, 11 inches tall. He was basically a Barbie for boys who felt that Ken was too soft. He wasn't necessarily an action figure because action figures have action. All he did was stand there, permanently positioned in swole patrol flexation. We called him Uncle John, and he always would stay at Grandma and Grandpa's, where he spent most of his time drowning in the bathtub or rotting in a Lincoln Log prison or fighting Batman. I called him Uncle John, not because he was my real Uncle John, but because he reminded me of my real life Uncle John, the strongest man I know. The big, strong, outdoorsman hunter, Uncle John, the strongest man I know. The could-be mustache model, Ventura City firefighter. Barbecuing connoisseur, Uncle John, the strongest man I know. The never-to-be-seen-without-wearing-boots-or-wranglers-real-comfortable-jeans, Uncle John, the strongest man I know. But God, God is stronger Well, of course he is. I mean, of course he is. You take even the the strongest individual physically or intellectually or emotionally or even spiritually, or better yet, you, you get a group of strong individuals like from the dawn of creation until now, and you add them all up, you combine them together, and they won't even amount to a minuscule, microscopic septillionth of a fraction of the strength of God. He is stronger. And yet in my brain, I end up limiting God. In the limitations of my brain, I put those limitations on God. Instead of understanding how I myself might be limited in my thoughts and understanding and ability to comprehend, I end up limiting God. I let doubt slip in like eels. Is God really real? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? 
I let fear haunt me from taking steps of faith. Because after all, that's not safe. That could be dangerous. That could be embarrassing. That could be weird. Or I let my enemies enable a sense of self-sabotage. She said that, and so I'm never going back there again. Or he made me feel uncomfortable, and so I'm done. Late. Or I let death deliver a finality to my focus because after all, YOLO, you only live once, right? Well, he is stronger. God is stronger than my doubts, than my fears, than my enemies. He's stronger than death. And when I begin to understand this reality and place it deep inside my soul, my world can be transformed completely transformed because there's no doubt about it, God is on the throne. And this means there's no fear that can stop me from taking gigantic or even just small steps of faith. Even if that pathway is lined by my enemies, I'm learning to love them. And I'm learning to call them my friends. Because what's the worst they could do? Deliver me over to death? Come on. We know that death is but a shadow, overwhelmed by the victory of Jesus. He is stronger. And that's why today we begin this brand new sermon series called He is Stronger. When we begin to realize and understand that he is stronger than my doubts, he's stronger than my fears, he's stronger than my enemies, and even he's stronger than death. And when I place this deep inside my soul, it'll completely change me. My perception of who God is and who I am will be completely transformed. And you know, I've got a bone to pick, like a big bone to pick, like a rack of ribs to pick because whoever told you or convinced you or deceived you or perplexed you to believe that God is not? Whoever told you that God is not more stronger? And I know that's improper grammar and rightly so because it's improper to believe that God Almighty, God the Creator, God the Sustainer, God the Redeemer, God our Savior, is not more stronger. Over the course of this sermon series, we're gonna rewire our brains to realize what true reality is, to realize that, man, we've been confused, we've been deceived, we've been perplexed, but he is stronger. So if you're able to stand, I want to invite you to stand today as we read from our memory verse, we stand to revere the word of God. It's life-changing. It's transforming power for our lives. And I am absolutely stoked about this memory verse we have here. It's from Psalm 28, verse 7. It says, the Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. So let's read that together aloud because this is just a powerful testimony of who God is. 
The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. So Lord, we thank you today. And today as we focus on doubt, I pray that you would speak to us in a profound and loud way. God, shake up our worldviews. Change us. We thank you that you are strong. We pray that we would learn to know that in an intimate and powerful way. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. You may be seated. Joy to the world. That's what it was. Joy to the world. One of the many Christmas songs that my wife has been bumping since July or August. Joy to the world. That's what it was. Jesus had been raised from the dead, and Peter had seen him, Mary had seen him, James and John had seen him, even Bartholomew had seen him, all the disciples had seen him, that is, except for Thomas. And that's where we begin today in John chapter 20, verse 24. It says, Thomas, the one called Didymus, that's his Greek nickname, it means the twin, one of the twelve wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, in the Greek it's the imperfect tense, so you could translate this that they kept on telling him over and over and over again, we've seen the Lord. And where were you, bro? Like, you missed out. Big time. Like, what better thing could you have been doing, Thomas? On a scale of one to ten, of how bummed out you must be right now. This is like a 19. And so Thomas is here like, what do I say? I missed out on like the most epic experience in human history. Like, what, what do I say? He says, nah, man, can't be. Too good to be true. Fat chance. I, I don't buy it. I doubt it. Well, that's a very loose paraphrase of what he actually said. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side where he was pierced with the spear after his death, I won't believe. No doubt about it, throughout church history, Thomas has gotten a bad rap for being a doubter. But let's talk about T-Dog today. I want to introduce you to Thomas, maybe in a new way. Thomas the powder, Thomas the doubter, and Thomas the touter. So let's first start with Thomas the powder. In the Gospel of John, when Lazarus dies... And when Jesus decides to go to Bethany to wake him up after four days, Thomas remarks, let us also go that we may die with him. Sounds kind of pouty, right? But he's actually aware of the danger that Jesus is facing in Jerusalem. So it may sound rather pouty, but it's actually a realist pessimism. That's what his words reveal here. He's just being real. I'm just being real, guys. The glass is half empty. But it also reveals his loyalty to and his solidarity with Jesus. Here we go. 
let's talk about Thomas the doubter, the more familiar one that we, uh, that we know about here in the Gospel of John when Jesus speaks about his departure from the world to go to his father's house in chapter 14, verse 2. Thomas says to Jesus in a rather obtuse, dull, dowdy kind of manner, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? If I were Jesus, I would have been like, what? Where have you been, dude? Like, weren't you with me for the past three years? We talked about this over and over. The son of man shall suffer and die, but he shall be raised from the dead. Like, where were you? This question, though, prompts Jesus to answer in a different manner. He, he declares that he's the way, the truth, the life, yada, yada, yada. He's the only way to the Father. Now, Thomas here, I think, is the originator of that phrase that we have, there are no stupid questions, right? Just dumb ones. But I think Thomas is actually where this question originates from because he asks kind of like a stupid question. But what he is showing us is called intellectual honesty. And I think we need some more of that in our world today, some more intellectual honesty and when we don't exhibit intellectual honesty, when we don't maybe ask dumb questions because we don't really know the answer, when we don't show intellectual honesty, it reveals that we aren't very intellectual and we aren't very honest. But that's what Thomas exhibits here. It's intellectual honesty that leads him to say that he cannot believe in Jesus' resurrection without proof. He says this in John 25b, of chapter 20, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. Okay, so we've talked about Thomas the powder, Thomas the doubter. Now on to Thomas the touter or promoter. As much as Thomas gets harped on for being a doubter, he had no doubt, no doubt whatsoever that Jesus had died. So he touts, he promotes this reality, and he refuses to believe the other disciples. I don't believe you, Peter. I don't believe you, Thaddeus. I don't believe you, Bartholomew. So he touts the proof that he needs in order to believe. Kind of sounds needy, but even more, Thomas had become so thoroughly convinced that Jesus was dead that he could not see how Jesus' crucifixion could be overcome. It's too good to be true. And what happens in those moments where it seems too good to be true? Doubt. Doubt creeps in. I remember when we found out that Uncle John, the strongest man I know, was diagnosed with cancer. The words were pouring through the phone but they weren't even registering. But all the while, I felt like someone had sucker punched me in the gut. I felt like my heart was dropping like a free-falling elevator. My thoughts soon shifted to grief, loss, death, and dying. But then I remembered, this is Uncle John, the strongest man I know. If anyone can beat this, he, he can beat this. Well, the months wore on, and then one day he cleared out his locker 
at the fire station. The cancer had become debilitating. And I remember receiving a phone call from my grandma, and I talked to her, and she said so resolutely, she said, I believe that God can still heal John. And in that moment, I realized that I had forgotten what it meant to hope. My eyes had been clouded with doubt. And here was grandma drawing back the blinds, revealing the hope outside of my doubt. And I said, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. God still can heal. You know, when it comes to doubt, I think about this, and I kind of put together a definition of what is doubt, that doubt is basically a feeling of uncertainty or lack of conviction. It feeds on our fears and becomes robust on insecurity. But is doubt bad? Is it always bad? No, certainly not. In my opinion, I don't think that doubt is always a bad thing because when I take my feelings of insecurity or uncertainty or lack of conviction and I bring them to God, amazing things can happen. I can deepen in my faith. I can grow deeper in my hope. My love can then abound when I bring these doubts to God. The great Russian novelist, Fyodor Dostoevsky once said, It is not as a child that I believe and confess Jesus Christ. My Hosanna is born of a furnace of doubt. And when I read these Russian literary giants, I have to read it like 16 or 17 times over because I have no idea what he just said. So I think what he's basically saying is that sometimes it's easy to accept it, childlike faith, right? But that may not work for everybody and in every situation. So sometimes our faith gets forged in the furnace of doubt. Or may, more plainly put, we have this amazing German theologian, one of the top thinkers of the 20th century, Paul Tillich, who said, doubt isn't the opposite of faith, it is an element of faith. But the problem becomes, where do we go when we doubt? I think a lot of times we go to the wrong places. I mean, you don't go to the hair salon to get your oil changed, right? Unless you've got an awesome hairstylist. You don't go to the meat market to get your teeth cleaned. So why do we go to Google instead of God. Why do we go to Google instead of God? www.google.com. Why do I doubt? Great question, right? So I type it into the search engine, W-H-Y space D-O, and before I can even finish my question, I am bombarded with a list of search results. Why do cats purr? Why do dogs eat grass? Why do we yawn? Why do we celebrate Halloween? Why do dogs howl? Why do men have nipples? Great question. I had a person after first service come up to me, so why do men have nipples then? I'm like, pray about it, dude. I don't know. Why do people snore? Why do we celebrate Thanksgiving? Why do I sweat so much? Why do dogs lick? And to tell you the truth, if these were my own search results, they would be in purple. 
These are not geared towards me in any way whatsoever, just to get that out of the way. But what I am seeing here, before I can even finish answering my question, I am going off in the completely wrong direction. Now I'm filled with even more doubts about who am I? I have nipples. What is going on? I start doubting stuff that I've never doubted before. Do I sweat so much? I don't know. Like, all these things, they, they creep in where I'm, like, so off track from my first question. Why do I doubt? So uh, Google is awesome. I love Google. Uh, I, I love figuring out stuff about gorillas and icebergs and, you know, why I sweat so much. But when it comes to, like, doubt and fear and insecurity, lack of conviction, I got to bring those things to God. Yeah. Google's great for some stuff. Awesome. I think God is probably the one to go to when I'm struggling with that. Well, Thomas is definitely struggling with this, and he voices this at least, his doubts to his friends. He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. Well, verse 26 says, after eight days, his disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. You've got James and John over here playing checkers. You've got Peter and Bartholomew tossing darts on the back wall. And you've got Matthew and Andrew shooting pool over here. It says, even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. James and John look up from the checkerboard. Oh, hey, Jesus. Peter and Bartholomew, hey, you want in next round? Matthew and Andrew, what's up, dude? But Thomas has got to be beside himself. Like, what? I can go higher than that. What? <laughs> Jesus, like, what in the world are you doing here, dude? You were dead on a cross. But now you're alive. What is going on? And the doors were locked. How did you get in? And Matthew probably leans on his pool stick. Yeah, man, he does this all the time. Where you been? But Jesus said, peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Whoa, wait a second, Jesus. Were you listening to me? You eavesdropping on me? Yeah, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. Wouldn't that be interesting, right? I'm just gonna stop right here. Wouldn't that be interesting? Like all the times we've questioned God about like stupid stuff, not like nipples or whatever, but like weird stuff, like where we come to God and then we finally are face to face with him and we realize how ridiculous our questions were. That would be interesting, right? It could be embarrassing a little bit too. Like Thomas thought he was a big dog saying like, oh yeah, I need to, I need to touch his wounds, all this stuff. Jesus shows up. We don't even have evidence here that Thomas actually touches the wounds. But he says, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Belief. So Jesus here dispels Thomas's doubt simply by showing up and by supernatural eavesdropping. And I believe that Jesus has been doing this ever since. I was at a prayer meeting some time ago, and 
there was a person who was praying. This is how you pray right here. And they said, God, we don't see you working, but we know that you are there. I like opened my eyes and turned over. I straight up stopped praying. I was like, really? God, we don't see you working, but we know that you are there. I straight up stopped praying because I'm like, we're not praying to the same God. I don't know who you're praying to, but my God is active and alive. Your God is not working. You can't see your God at work. Like, my God is doing incredible things. My God is bringing hope to hopeless situations. He's bringing courage to discouragement. He's bringing life and truth and beauty and goodness. And I, when I stop and think, I am completely saturated, completely overwhelmed by all the ways that God is working and active in our world. And I may not see it in my own life at that exact moment, but I look out at the people around me and I'm like, whoa, God is so active. God is so at work. Just the the reality that I can stand up here on a stage, and I don't mean like, oh, because of who I am or anything, but but just like Anatomically, is that, a, is that a word? I don't even know. But like the anatomy of my body, like how in the world am I able to stand on the stage? That's balance, gravity, all these sorts of things that like we don't realize when we move too fast when I'm too into what's going on across the world with celebrities or whatever. Like I, I'm, I am blown away at how active and alive God is. To where I'm exclaiming like Thomas, picking my jaw up off the floor, catching my breath and saying, my Lord and my God. This is one of the most profound statements of saving faith in all of scripture. My Lord and my God. Well, what does this actually mean within the first century socio-historical context. Well, for a Jew to call another human being my Lord and my God would be considered blasphemy under normal circumstances. Thomas had come to believe that Jesus was his Lord in a fuller sense, and he now believed Jesus to be God. So here we have the most unyielding skeptic who has given here the most profound confession, and this confession leads him to go and share the gospel to the outer reaches of the Middle East. And by tradition, he may have even made it to India, but not before Jesus replied. Do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. Then Jesus did other miracles, miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded in this scroll. But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's son, and that believing you will have life in his name. Yeah, but I've got doubts, loads of them, dump trucks full of doubt. Sure, it would be nice if Jesus would just pop up in my situation. Maybe he is. Maybe he is. We believed that God would heal Uncle John, the strongest man I know. And we didn't doubt. 
We did not doubt. But the cancer, it crept into his spine. But we believed and we didn't doubt. He was then confined to an in-home hospital bed. But we believed and we didn't doubt that God could heal. But over the many days and weeks and months that came, his condition declined like a tire thinning bald or like a tree stripped of its beauty by the changing winds. But we still believed and we didn't doubt. And then one day I got the phone call that Uncle John, the strongest man I know, had passed. He had passed. A week or two later, we were all packed into a church. Hundreds of people, first responders, family and friends. And there we celebrated and we mourned. And there we actually experienced the memorial service that he himself had planned on his own deathbed. And there was a hymn that we sang that it just wrecked me. It crushed me, but like in a good way, if that makes sense. To where it felt like God was giving me a suffocating bear hug. It suffocated all my doubts. And the song, it goes like this. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to your God to order and provide. In every change, God faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, your best, your heavenly friend. Through thorny waves leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul, your God will undertake to guide the future as an age is past. Your hope, your confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds still know the Christ who ruled them while he dwelt below. Be still, my soul. The hour is hastening on when we shall be forever with the Lord. When disappointment, grief, and fear are gone, sorrows forgot, love's purest joys restored. Be still, my soul, when change and tears are past, all safe and blessed, we shall meet at last. Be still, my soul. Uncle John, the strongest man I know, is still the strongest man I know because he had the audacity, he had the boldness and the courage to say, be still my soul in the face of doubt, in the face of hardship, in the face of death. He continued to say, be still my soul. And what's crazy is that he had us singing, be still my soul, because this is who God is. Even in the face of your greatest doubts, this is who God is. The one who undertakes 
the one who stills the wind and the waves, the God who overcomes. I learned an important lesson about doubt from a man who had every single reason to doubt. I learned that God is stronger than my doubt. That he's strong enough to handle my doubts. That he's strong enough to show up and supernaturally eavesdrop. That he's strong enough to conquer my feelings of uncertainty or lack of conviction, my fears and my insecurity. I want you just to close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes and just think about the biggest doubt that you have. That which is weighing upon your soul. That that is weighing you down so much that you can't get past it. This doubt has been a hang up for so long. But in this moment, whatever that doubt may be, maybe it's doubting God for something or about God, or maybe it's doubting yourself or doubting the circumstances or who God has created you to be. I want you to take that doubt, that big doubt that's been weighing you down, and I want you somehow, some way to give it to God. I don't know if that means speaking it out loud. I don't know if that means writing it down or putting it in your hands and just giving it to God. But I pray that, Lord, we would realize that you are stronger than our doubts, that you can handle our doubts. And as we give them to you, help us to have courage and faith to grow as a result of this. We declare that you are God and we are not. So help us to believe our beliefs and help us to doubt our doubts. Father, I pray that if someone in here today wants to accept you for the very first time, that like Thomas, they had doubts. Who is this Jesus who died on the cross? They would come to saving faith, saying, my Lord and my God, you have risen from the dead, that you have defeated death, that you have overcome. I pray that they would say, Jesus, would you come into my heart? Would you become my king? Because I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. Come into my life and become my king. You rose from the from the grave and so now Lord lead me in your way Holy Spirit guide me and strengthen me pray these things in Jesus name Amen you know today we celebrate communion and it's very interesting to celebrate the death as we dip this cracker into the juice we remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed on the cross for the things that we have done wrong but we celebrate communion, the death of Jesus, because he paid for it there. 
But the story wasn't over. He rose from the grave, defeating that death, bringing us new life and new hope. And so today, as as we receive communion, I want to encourage you today, as you come up here and dip that cracker into the juice, drop the doubts there. Leave them there and start a conversation with God. How do I work through these situations? To him be the glory in the church and in our lives and for all times. Amen? Amen.